Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. And now, here's Pastor John Hill. Let's dive in. Okay, good morning, everybody. Man, I'm excited to be up here. Uh, we're going to continue in our series on uh, Summer Playlist, and I want to talk to you today a little bit about um, disillusionment. By the way, welcome to everybody online, whichever camera you got me on. Uh, excited to see you, whether you're on our website, you're on uh, Facebook, you're on YouTube. We're just excited that you're here with us as well. Please get involved in the chat. That's something you can do online we can't do here. Because if you start chatting, I'm going to get nervous and be done, you know. Uh, so the, enjoy that. Enjoy your uh, pancakes and your pajamas. And, uh, and I'm also excited that you guys are here in this room. I want to talk about disillusionment. Uh, the definition of disillusionment is uh, disappointment is someone or something that one discovers is less good than what one believed. In a nutshell, it's when your beliefs or expectations uh, are different from your experience. Maybe the better way to say it is when you have an experience that doesn't match your beliefs or your expectation. And if you think about it, that is pretty rampant in our culture today. There are a lot of people who are disillusioned with a lot of things, whether it's an organization or individuals, leaders, uh, groups of leaders, groups of people. There are people who are disillusioned everywhere we turn, whether it's uh, the law enforcement, whether it's education, whether it's politicians, uh, whether it's moral injustice, individual injustice, uh, group injustice, there, there's a lot of disillusionment uh, to be handed out and to be turned into frustration, maybe even a loss of hope, because that's what happens as disillusionment and disappointment begins to rise, then uh, hope dwindles and even our frustrations go through the roof. You can see it because all you have to do is drive on the road and you'll know people are disillusioned because you can hardly make a lane change without being in front of somebody uh, and so somebody is upset uh, and they let you know because there's all kinds of great hand signals because their regular signals don't work uh, and, and I know that's not a they, that's a we because some of us have been, uh, and I might be alone, but I've experienced that frustration uh, on the road. But what happens is, is when it comes to this disillusionment is we end up with these feelings that we really don't know how to process or what to do. And this has been going on for a long time, especially in our nation, but really across the world. Uh, and when it comes to the music industry, because we're talking about summer playlists and we've been talking about different songs that our culture uh, has put out, written, you know, things that are different songs and lyrics that people have uh, put out in our culture to handle some of the issues that we've been talking about. And we've been doing it uh, in concert with a study and through some of the Psalms of the Bible, which is really God's playlist. It's his songs. Uh, and so when it comes to this idea of disillusionment and people being frustrated and all of that, uh, there's no shortage of songs. Uh, as I was looking through, you know, protest songs, for instance, you know, Marvin Gaye asked what's going on, right? Some of you know that song. You remember that song. Uh, I know that Billy Joel uh, wanted everybody to know he didn't start the fire. Uh, Bob Marley. Just want to see who in here does certain things. Uh, stand up. Get up. Stand up. Uh, you're going to fight for your rights. Uh, 1989, I remember the movie Do the Right Thing, and we first learned about Radio Rahim. 
who was playing public enemy, who said, fight the power. Uh, and then even Bob Dylan, as he struggled with where are these answers, he said, they're all just blowing in the wind. Uh, and based on that, whether you know these songs or not, tells me a lot about you and your background, my background, all of that, because we know which songs we like. At the end of the day, when it comes to how to resolve disillusionment, disappointment, when it comes to injustice, when it comes to all of these things, we say, man, what do we do with all of this? I like the song by the king of pop, Michael. Do I have to say his last name? Listen to this. Yeah, everybody's excited now, right? He's a little Michael. You know, some of you, I saw you bouncing your heads a little bit and everything. Uh, yeah, Michael's answer is if we want to change things, we've got to look at ourselves. We've got to figure it out within ourselves and then begin to make changes within us, and that will somehow make it better for everybody. And while I do think there's a certain amount of truth and maybe logic to that, the question I really have today is what do we do when our disillusionment, our disappointment is with God? What happens when the faith that we grew up with, and I know a lot of people may have grown up with their parents' faith or their grandparents' faith, maybe brought to church as kids. Some of you may be here even now with your, your kids, and you are like, we've got to get our kids into church. And what if the faith uh, that you experienced and, and learned to believe as a child or a teenager what happens as you become a young adult and then you go into uh, more adulthood and then even middle age and your experience is not matching that faith? What happens when the faith of your childhood doesn't really work in the real world as you become an adult? Now, I would suspect that in a room with the amount of people that are here and online and watching that there are lots of us who have dealt with that. Now, it doesn't mean we stop going to church. It doesn't mean we stop uh, being a believer uh, or any of those things. And for some of you, you may be here because you're in a place of disillusionment and you weren't sure the church might even have an answer. And you may have heard from other people that don't try church. They, they don't have answers. They're antiquated. They're outdated. They don't know. They're guessing like the rest of us. And if you're in that place and that is where you're at, then just take comfort in the sense that I would say that if we were all open and honest, that every single one of us at times in our lives, and some of us, again, may be in a season right now where you're wrestling with something 
that is happening in your experience that you believe may not be adding up to what you believe or what you expect from God. And the question becomes, what do I do with that? Because I know God can, but he's not. Uh, I know he's there, but he doesn't seem like he feels to be here. And I wonder what's happening around me. And we, it could breed fear. It could breed anxiety. Uh, it could breed all kinds of things. And what I want to do is I want to look at Psalm 73. And we've been looking at different psalms throughout our study together over these weeks of summer. And today we're going to look at a psalm by a young man named Asap. Now, we don't know if he wrote it himself or if some people that he inspired wrote it and they gave, him the, or they gave the name of it to him. Uh, but the point is, is that Asap was a real dude. And he was one of three choir directors that worked for two different kings, King David and King Solomon. So basically, in our vernacular, uh, Asap was a worship leader. And he gets very real with God about some very real stuff in Psalm chapter 73. Let's take a look at it, starting in verse 1, uh, where we see uh, that, that Asaph starts off with his belief system. He says, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. He says, this is what I believe. More than anything else, this is my belief, that God is good, uh, that those who follow God, that he will be good to them. He's good to the nation of Israel. We don't have a lot of time to give some context uh, the nation of Israel was really chosen by God through, they were descendants of a guy named Abraham who had made a covenant with God. And God said, I'm going to make you a big nation, a mighty nation. And, and they became God's chosen people, you may have heard. And from his descendants, God became their God. They were supposed to be his people. There was all kinds, you could read through the, no, the Old Testament and see all kinds of problems with some of that. But this is what Asaph was convinced of, that essentially God is good to his people. Now, we know from Hebrews 11, verse 6, uh, because it gets echoed later, uh, that without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and must believe that he rewards those who seek him. This was Asaph. He believed that God exists, that he was good, and that he would reward any who would seek him. As many of you may have that same belief. Some of you may still be wondering and trying to figure it out. If there is a God, I hope he's good. I know in culture he's indicted by many, especially through social media and other places, to not be so good. But the reality is this is the beginning point. This is the foundation of faith. Then in verse 2 he says, but, don't you hate and love buts in Scripture at the same time? Because you know there's something coming. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. There came a point in my life, Asaph says, where my theology was not matching my experience, where what I believed was not the same as what I saw. And so because of that, it was so gripping, it was so moving to me that my feet almost slipped. I almost walked away from my faith. What caused it? Look at verse 3. For I envied the arrogant, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see four key words here. Arrogant, that, those are the people who love to show up and show out. And they want everybody to see it. And they flaunt their life and they flaunt what they're about. And they want to let everybody know it. And musicians are like this and influencers are like this and all kinds of others. But he says, I envied those people. He also talks about the wicked. These are people who actively choose what is offensive to God. 
They're just regularly doing things that they know that if there is a God, God's not too happy about it, but they don't care. Some of these people have started wars. Some of these people have committed genocide on a mass scale, on individual scale. Some of these people won't trim their bushes back from your yard. But the point is, is that we've seen this in politicians, celebrities, athletes, influencers. We've seen these arrogantly wicked people. He says, I saw the prosperity of them. And the word there is shalom, and it's the idea of having uh, everything in your world right, starting with God and then right relationships and then right standing in the community. And it feels like they're getting all of this. And he says, so I envied them. And envy is really a, a, a process where we go by comparing ourselves to others. And in that comparison, we start to feel deprived. I feel like there's something missing from my life because I'm looking at all these people and why are they getting what I want and why are they getting what I feel like I deserve? So envy quickly leads to coveting. It basically is I want what they have is what envy leads us to. Coveting is one of the first of the commandments, the 10 commandments. One of them was covet. You will not covet your neighbor's things or even his wife or any other thing that's going on. In other words, don't find yourself in a place of envy and coveting, God would say, to his people. And Asaph is admitting that he found himself in this place. He was disappointed in something that he had believed that as he lived his life, he began to question whether or not that was true. Here's the cause of his envy. As he looked at these wicked people, he says in verse 4, they have an easy time until they die. Their bodies are well fed. Some translations say they're fat, which is just a, a metaphor. It didn't mean literally, but it could have been, but it meant that they were healthy. In the ancient cultures, they would look at people who are overweight as super healthy and must have a lot of means because that's how they're bigger than everybody else. That's why I'm really wealthy. But, but you know, I'm trying to get poorer. <laughs> Verse 5, they are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. He goes on to describe as a result their attitude. He says, therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imagination of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. We know that more than anybody now because that's social media. My tongue is strutting across all my social media platforms all the time. And this is how Asaph found these people. Therefore, even his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. Uh, they even might be able to tempt some of the ones who are supposed to belong to God. But certainly anybody who is in their tribe, their following, they are constantly waiting like little birds for the worm that the Mama bird is going to give. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the most high know everything? They don't even question that there might be a God. They just don't care. And they figure, well, he must not know everything. They're probably more agnostic than they are atheists. He goes on and says, look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase in their wealth. According to ASAP, the wicked shout, hey, followers of God, why are you wasting your time? I care nothing about God. I live as I please, and I'm doing just fine. 
So Asaph says, I was envious of these openly wicked, loud living mockers when I saw their God-blessed lives. You ever felt like that? You ever been in that place where you start to wonder what it is you're doing? If you're somebody who comes to church a lot, if you're somebody who's uh, been trying to be a follower of Jesus for some amount of time in your life, even if you've been somebody who's maybe tried to just be a good person and you're just like, I'm okay with God, I think God's okay with me, and, uh, but, you know, and you see other people who seemingly have no care or concern about what is right, about what is fair or what is just, and they seem to be thriving. Maybe it's something else, but has there been something in your life that has caused you to lose some amount of faith to become frustrated or disappointed in what it is you thought God was supposed to be about, and he didn't seem to be about that? This led Asaph to ask a question that is pivotal for this morning because he asks in verse 13, did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. In other words, he says, am I wasting my time? And then he starts to turn a corner. He says in verse 15, if I had decided to say these things aloud, so we're talking about Asaph, we're reading it right now. <laughs> it's aloud. <laughs> Too late, cat's out of the bag. But what we see from this psalm that's so important, and just tuck it away, we'll talk about it in just a little bit, is that Asaph is giving us his process after he's done. This happens often in the psalms. We get a glimpse, we get to parachute in on something that they were dealing with at a moment in their life, but they've, they've come to some conclusions. There's some resolve that has happened. And in Asaph's uh, life, as he went through this, he said, if I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. Some translations had betrayed, betrayed an entire generation. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. Maybe you're here today and you thought, man, I am confused and, and, and I am disillusioned, I'm disappointed about God, about life, maybe my family, about my job, about my purpose, about everything. And maybe to you it feels like things might be hopeless. But here's what ASAP said. Until. <laughs> I don't know if in your life you've ever had a moment like this. I think many of us have been through the struggle. I don't know if we've received the resolve, but what I love about Asaph is he has that word until. You see, he started, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. I, I almost walked away. And here's why. All of this stuff, he just, he just carries it out into these words and he lets us know everything that he's been struggling about. Until. Anybody want to amen and until? Because he's about to tell us what made the difference. See, what happens oftentimes in our lives is when we start to get this way, we get very tunnel vision, and that tunnel continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And what we do is we lose sight of the bigger picture. And Asaph, understanding this, tells us in verse 17, until I entered God's sanctuary. See, I know we... And, and some of you old enough to remember that you might have gone to a church and they called the building that we now call this like a worship center, auditorium, whatever you want to 
you might be used to. He's called a sanctuary. Well, that's a play to this kind of language. The, the idea of sanctuary is a metaphor that really just means until I came into the presence of God. Until I came to the place where God dwells. And he says, I came into the presence of God and then I understood their destiny. See, I got God's plan when I came to God. And when I got God's plan, it changed everything. And he tells us what he got. He says in verse 18, indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terror. Some say nightmares. Like one awaking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you despise their image. See, the reality is when he came into the presence of God, God gave him the picture that he needed so that he could handle what was happening because he had limited information as long as he was just doing it on his own. But when he came into the presence of God, he was able to see something that he didn't see before, which is that God was still God. God still had the world in his hands and God was up to something. And eventually there was coming a point when God would make everything right. And when that time comes, all the mockers, all the wicked, now before we get too excited, I'll tell you later what that means. But all of them will have to face God. And they'll have to answer. And while they think because God is silent, he is not active, that is a myth. Silence does not equal inactivity. And Asaph learned that because he came into the presence of God. Here's a summary idea that I want you to think through because very often our lives can get chaotic. It can get cloudy. Uh, we could be seeking some kind of an answer and we're not sure where we, what it is and even where to find it. And so I want you to think about it this way. You cannot experience clarity in your life until you trust the creator of life. You see, as long as you don't trust the creator of life, you cannot get clarity about life because clarity about life resides with the creator of life. The creator of life, we sometimes just say God, but really God is, is three persons in one God, so we really have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all involved in this, but really Colossians tells us that Jesus was the one who created everything. And so we cannot find clarity in life unless we go to the creator of life. The creator of life is Jesus. But it's not about just going. You have to trust. The idea of trust is to believe in the reality, the reliability, uh, the strength of something or someone. It's, it's, the, it's, it's listen, it's, it's relying on it. It's placing your hands in it. The old example we used to use is a chair. You can believe in a chair, but you don't really trust it until you sit in it. And some of us, we don't want to sit in a chair because we've sat in other chairs and they broke. And so we're not sure about trusting chairs. And what Asaph is saying is that when I came into the presence of God, I understood. I saw it, the plan, their destiny, my destiny, what's supposed to happen. And the result is that he became more aware of himself See, this is where when Michael sings about, look, you know, look at the man in the mirror or the person in the mirror. Yeah, but you can't look at the person in the mirror until you first look at the person who created the person in the mirror. Because you won't get truth. You won't get reality. 
Look at Asaph's confession. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. I acted like an animal, God, because I let myself get away from spending time with you. And I began to think for myself. And I was embittered. I, I fell into envy. I fell into coveting. I, I developed bitterness in my life. He got in the mirror and he did real business with God. But he didn't do that until he came into the presence of God. But thankfully, he didn't tell anybody else while this was going on. He just did his work with God. And what it did is it flipped him to where he would say in verse 23, yet I'm always with you. You hold my right hand. Even when I was embittered, even when I was envious, even when I was coveting, even when I was struggling and disillusioned and disappointed, I was still with you, God, because you hold my right hand, the image of a child holding the hand of their parents. You were always there, God. I was trying to figure something out and go on my own way, and as soon as I came to you, I was reminded that you hold my right hand. You are always with me. He goes on to say, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me up in glory. So while I live this life, I live under your direction, and then when it's over, I get to be with you forever. Because you cannot experience clarity in life unless you trust the creator of life. Why is this so important? Because for so many of us, when it comes to our lives, our lives are misaligned. See, if you've ever had an alignment problem with your car, <laughs> you know that you could have the best car and it could look awesome and it could be clean and everything looks wonderful. And then you have an alignment problem. Your tires are somehow crooked and out of alignment. You could go for a drive and it could be bumpy and it could be, listen, I used to drive a car that was so far out of line that when I went on the freeway, I could let go of the wheel and change three lanes to the left. And if I didn't grab the wheel back, I would have crashed. Some of our lives are like that. And we're trying to struggle to hold on to this wobbling wheel. And we're trying to do it ourselves. And the thing is, is there are things that are misaligned that we need to put into alignment. So what I want to do as we think about this psalm and where we're at in our lives is I want you to think about three alignments that I think you could make. If you're that person that's disillusioned, if you're living in disappointment... If you're especially struggling with God and you're struggling with what you're supposed to be doing or why is he not answering it, why are things this way and what's going on, then you need to think about these three alignments. And maybe what you need to do is you need to get your life into the shop with God, the sanctuary of God, and begin to align. Here's the first one. You need to align your reactions with your response. So what does that mean, Pastor? What I mean by that is very often when we go into, into situations and we get frustrated or something happens or, or you know, we, we begin to get dis disillusioned or disappointed in something, very often we've been trained by our society and our culture. The, tr the, the trigger, when the trigger goes, we just react. That's why I said earlier, you get in the traffic and you just react. You get in a conversation with your spouse and things start happening and trigger gets and you just react. As Asaph was dealing with this issue, he didn't just react. He says that I, in fact, he says, remember in verse 15, if I decided to say these things out loud, I would have betrayed your people, an entire generation. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. The point is, is that he gave himself permission to not feel like he had to make up an answer or try to make anybody else happy with what was going on, that he could take a pause and begin to process through what he was feeling and seeing and doing. 
How often do we take a moment to process what's happening? How often do we give ourselves an opportunity to say, you know what, I don't have the answer right now, but if you give me some time, I'm going to go into the sanctuary of God and I'm going to come back with something. Instead, we just react, we react, we react, we react. Some of you get mad if something goes on to church, you leave the church. That's just reacting. You don't process through. You don't, mind, you don't bother taking time to figure out if, if even the facts you have that made you mad are accurate. You don't give anybody else the benefit of the doubt. You just figure this happened, they're messed up, I'm gone. Sometimes we do that in our relationships with our spouses, our families, our coworkers, our neighbors, and whatever else, and we just react. And we find ourselves, and this is the funny thing about when you live by reaction, when all you're doing is like a pinball just bouncing around, you become more and more angry, more and more frustrated, things build up more and more. You're like a powder keg walking through life because you don't take the time to process. And very often your reaction is regrettable, and you, don't, you, you know you can think back in your time, things that are just completely embarrassing. You're like, I don't even know how I did that or why I did that. I don't know why I responded that way. I don't know why I reacted that way. And it's regrettable. And a response, see, listen, reactions are generally knee-jerk and they're not thought out. A response is something that comes at the end of, uh, of thinking, of using wisdom, of seeking counsel, of figuring things out. And maybe what's happening in our lives sometimes when we're misaligned is that we're too busy reacting to everything and we're not spending enough time responding because we don't take the time to process. ASAP took the time to process. See, the thing is, is sometimes we think God's afraid of our struggles, afraid of our anger, afraid of our doubts, afraid of our questions. He's not. And so what happens is oftentimes our first reaction is to want to run away from God. And ASAP's reaction was to run to God. And he opened up his tunnel vision and he saw the bigger picture. Here's number two. You need to align your reach with your longing. See, very often we have good longings. Like I long for, you know, to be healthy. But then we reach for McDonald's. And then we try to help ourselves out. You, you know the Diet Coke order, right? Did you ever do that? I did. I'll take a Big Mac and some fries and 10-piece nugget. You know, it's filet of fish fried. I want you to throw one of them in and a Diet Coke, because somehow that's going to make it all better. Sometimes we do that with God. We do that with the things that we long for. Let me give you some examples. Maybe you're not sure what I'm talking about. Some of you long for a family that is great. I want a family that is great, that is connected, that, 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 that loves each other, that works for each other. That, and some of us, most of us don't have that. We didn't grow up with that. I put my family with a dis and dysfunctional. <laughs> and, and, and some of us come from that. And so when we start a family, we want it to be great. And very often what we reach for is a family that looks great on the outside. So it's on our social media and it's, it's taking the picture. You know, I've been in pictures where the picture looked like everybody had a great time. And just before that, we were yelling and screaming at each other. And then, da, 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 picture. Some of you do that with church. Da, 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 we're at church. Oh, okay. Praise God. And then you come in. 
So what you want is a family full of Jesus followers, and what you end up with is a bunch of social media followers. And your family's broken and busted up. Because your reach isn't matching your longing. You thought being a great family would mean you could work all these hours and give everybody something because after all, you want to give your kids stuff they never had. The problem is every one of us who may have felt like we didn't have everything we might have wanted, if any of us have come from broken families, what's the one thing we would have said we wanted more than anything else? I didn't need a Nintendo. I didn't need a Mr. Quarterback. I didn't need all of that. I would have rather just had my dad be home and him love my mom. But what we do is we reach for the long hours. We reach for the debt because we want to keep buying everything. And then we wonder why our family's not great. Some of you, you really long for Mr. or Ms. Wright. But you know you reach for Mr. or Ms. Right now. And what you end up with is instead of finding the right person and who loves God and you love God and you love each other and you waited for you, you did everything that you were wanting to do to build a genuine, real relationship. Instead of ending up with what the Bible wants for us, which is shameless intimacy, right? We could have intimacy with no shame. You end up with a bunch of walks of shame because you out clubbing and doing whatever else you're trying to do. And some of you even end up with somebody else's spouse, because your reach is not matching what you long for. Some of you, 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 you long to be accepted by God, but you reach for the acceptance of others. So what ends up happening is instead of living a life of significance that makes a real difference, you live a life of insecurity and anxiety. You see, for ASAP, his longing was matching his reach. His reach was aligned with his longing. He says, who do I have in heaven but you, in verse 25, and I desire nothing on earth but you. That's his longing. I desire nothing but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. And he reached for that because he, here he was longing for God, and he went into the sanctuary of God when he had his darkest moment. Where do we go when we have our darkest moments? What are we doing in our lives? What are we reaching for in our lives? Because most humans want peace and they want significance. They want to belong. They want, they, they want to be accepted. They, they, they want purpose. But yet they reach everywhere except where it is offered, which is in their relationship with their creator. Because you can't find clarity in life unless you trust the creator of life. Here, here's number three. You need to align your life habits with your life story. See, everybody's life tells a story. Every one of us, as we live our lives, we tell a story. What story are we telling? Look at Asap. He says, as he, in verse 28, he says, but as for me, this is kind of his conclusion to everything. After stating, I believe God is good and I believe that he, he's good to those who are pure in heart. He comes back at the end. He says, but as for me, God's presence is my good. It's good for me to be in the presence of God. That's what I long for. That's what I want. That's the story. He goes on. He says, I have made the Lord God my refuge. Why? So that I can tell all about all you do. Do you see what Asap did there? He made God the hero of his story. 
He said that my life story is all about saying what God does. That's all I want to be about is telling people what God is doing in my life. The only way you can tell people about what God is doing is to let God do some stuff. And so often what we're doing is we're living a Diet Coke faith. Because we, we have all, we, listen, we say, I want health. I want to be with God. I, wanna, I want to make sure that I reach that longing of being accepted and with God and forgiven and all of those things. But yet we go out and live in the world like Big Macs and, and chicken nuggets and now they had Grimace shakes. And then we come on Sundays and we say, give me a Diet Coke. I'll be okay because I come on Sundays. I'll be okay because I got the Diet Coke. But inside you're dying because your life habits are misaligned with the story that you want to tell with your life. As a matter of fact, in some ways, your life habits are exactly what will tell the story your life is telling. If you don't feel your life is telling the story that you want it to tell, In regards to God, check your everyday habits. What are you doing to build up a life that makes God the star of the story? What are you doing to build up a life that tells others of the goodness of God? You see, the problem that we have is for many of us, we are the star of our story. For many of us, it's just me. The story's all about me. And all I want to do is tell everybody about me. I want everything to be about me. I want to get all mine. I only live once, so I want it to be all about me and all my social media. And all everything. It's my, my story is just one big selfie. Look what ASAP wrote in verse 27 just before he concluded. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. See, much like a lot of the Psalms and even Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, they reduce everybody into two groups. And there's only two. One, as Asaph said earlier, is the wicked. Now, we thought the wicked, you know, that's not us. That's those arrogant people going around, blah, 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 blah. And that's the, wait, listen. The wicked is anybody whose life habits are building a story that is contrary to the ways of God. And it doesn't matter how far away from God you are, you're either with God or away from God. There's only wicked, there's righteous. Now, here's the funny thing. We're all wicked. That's what we sometimes don't understand. And the righteous are only righteous because of God's righteousness being placed on them. Not because they're righteous, not because we're somehow special. Our righteousness in and of ourselves is offensive to God. Isaiah tells like filthy rags. When we try to bring our own righteousness, it's like we're bringing a bunch of garbage on a trash can lid and say, here, God, look at all the great stuff I'm doing. And that's wicked. You see, without getting too deep into theology today this morning, you have to understand that when it comes to righteousness, there's really two terms for righteousness in some ways. There's a positional righteousness, and then there's a practical righteousness. What happens is Jesus came to die on a cross. He lived his life and then he died on a cross because none of us could achieve even positional but certainly not practical righteousness without help. We were all lost 
we, we were all, listen, me, you, everybody. There isn't anybody. If you walk in with your spiritual nose up in the air and you think you're special, you're lying to yourself. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came and died on a cross. Why did he die? Because he paid a debt that we owed for our lack of righteousness. He paid it. He said, I know you can't pay it. I know you can't earn your way. I know you can't deserve your way. So I'm going to do something that you can't do for yourself. I'm going to die on the cross so that you can have my righteousness put on you. So now when you come to Christ by faith and you say, I don't want to tell my story anymore, Jesus. I want to tell your story. I want to come into the sanctuary of God. I want to see the big picture. I want to understand your purpose for my life, Jesus. And when you do that, the word is he imputes onto you. He declares you righteous because he has so much righteousness. He has enough left over for the rest of us. So positionally, he sees you as righteous, even though practically you are not. And then he gives you the Holy Spirit to walk you through a process so that one day as you go to meet him, you'll be closer to being practically righteous as you are positionally righteous. And then you'll spend eternity with him. Some of you, you're still wallowing around. In wickedness. And that doesn't mean you're this evil, terrible person. Because you, you just happen to be mistakenly thinking there's a third category. I mean, I'm not really righteous. Most of you, you might say, but I'm not wicked. I'm just, I'm just okay. Like, I'm just good. I'm good enough. My dad used to say that. Oh, John, don't worry. When I get to heaven, I'll put my arms around Jesus and we'll have a conversation. He'll let me in. He's not alive right now. I don't know what happened in the last years of his life. But if he died with that mentality, just like Asap just said, he's going to wake from a bad dream and think the nightmare happened, but no, the nightmare is beginning. I don't say that to scare anybody. What I'm saying is this. Jesus loved you so much, loved me so much, that he said, I want you in my house. I want you with me. I want to be in a relationship with you. And I'm going to provide the way. I am the way, he said. And all we have to do, now, simple but not easy, is make the decision to let go of our way of life that makes us the star and embrace his way of life that makes him the star through us. Are you willing to do that today? If you've never done that, I'm going to give you a chance in just a second. I want to lead you through a prayer. And in that prayer, I want to invite you to pray in your heart. You can pray out loud if you want. But I want you to pray the words of the prayer. Listen, it's, they're not magic words. It's just words that hopefully can represent your authentic heart. And if today you're willing to admit that you have a need, you don't have it all together. You're clouded. You're chaotic. You need clarity. And if you're willing to come into the presence of God right here in this moment, in this and this, some would say, a holy moment. And you'd be willing to commit your life to him, believing that Jesus Christ did the work. But by faith, place your trust in your creator 
and ask him for your future, you can begin a new way of life today. Some of you have been in church. Don't let your pride keep you from doing it if you've never done it. There's no big group shuffle going into heaven. Every person will individually answer for whether or not they place their trust in Christ. Just a moment, Pastor Carl's going to lead us through communion. It's our time to remember that Jesus shed his blood, he gave his body. But I would like to lead you in this prayer before that because I want for some of you, maybe for the first time, to begin that relationship. Would you bow your heads, please? And I want you to pray this. Dear God, I'm trusting you today. I need you to grant clarity in my life. I believe you sent your son Jesus for me. I believe he gave his life for me. Today I am committing myself to Christ as my Lord and Savior. By faith I am claiming your promise to forgive my sins and give me a new identity as your child. I want to be in your presence both now and forever. In Jesus' name. With your head still bowed, if you prayed that prayer today, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but you put your hand up. I just want to be able to pray for you later in my own time. Would you put your hand? Okay, I see a hand over on this side. Anybody else? Okay, other hands. Thank you. Thank you. All right, appreciate you guys. Thank you for your hands. Online, if you prayed that prayer just now, I want to invite you in the chat to say, I said yes to Jesus. In the room, if you can, you can raise your eyes or open your eyes, raise your head. Really, there's a couple things that you could do. You can fill out that card that you got on the way in as part of that program. Just, just check the boxes. I said yes to Jesus. Make sure you put your info, drop it in the offering. We're going to take in just a sec, and somebody from our team will be following up with you. You can also visit our next steps table after the service. There might be some that are watching this later online, and you, you, can, you can actually, or you in the room, can text next to the phone number you'll see on the screen, 909-281-7797. Just text that word next to that number. Someone from our team will be in touch. Here's the reality. None of us are going to go through life without facing disillusionment at some point. At some point, we're going to be pressed by life, And it might surprise you, but even by God, to determine whether we're going to choose to trust our creator or are we going to react and run or give up or quit or worse, poison others with what we're dealing with. God wants us to wrestle with him with these things, but we have to get our lives in alignment. And so let's work on that this week. And as we get ready for communion, we continue in our worship. Maybe use this time to reflect and to think through what God wants for you. Let, let, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, God. Thank you for just the truth, Lord, of what you bring to each of us through this psalm. God, we get disillusioned. We get disappointed. There's not a person in this room that doesn't. But I pray, Father, as a result of today, we might enter your sanctuary. That even in these moments in the, in the near future here, in these next few moments, that we would do that. We'd get our hearts and minds ready for communion. We'd give with joy and gladness. We'd sing with energy. I thank you for these several who've raised their hands and maybe some who didn't, but they they made that decision. 
And I just pray, Lord, as we continue in our service, that you'll continue to be honored as we respond to you. And we'll ask it in Jesus' great name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word NEXT to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.